I'm Mark Gagan, and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Today's guest is the sort of reinsurance broker I'd want outbroking for me in this tough and difficult to call market. Simon Headley, CEO of Acrishaw Re Group, is a real broker's broker. What you see is what you get. By his own admission, he's someone not averse to rolling up his sleeves and getting out into the market. He's really down to earth and straight talking. But don't let this demeanour confuse you. Just because he doesn't talk in management speak, it doesn't mean he doesn't think deeply about the market and strategy. He's as sharp as a razor and can see the big strategic picture. He's also really good at explaining his vision in language that people like you and me can understand. Acrishore is in a really interesting position. It's owned by a massive and growing US retail broking network, and a big part of its role is to connect up capital and analytics with the distribution and technological muscle of its parent. It's also at the forefront of the current boom in hybrid carriers and MGAs, because it's a major supply of reinsurance capital to support this expansive sector. All this means our talk gives you everything you need to know about the capital and reinsurance markets and how their changing moods can affect everything else along the insurance value chain. Enjoy the podcast. This episode is supported by Oxbow Partners. Oxbow Partners is a management consulting business specialising in the London, Bermuda and European insurance and reinsurance markets. In fact, in 2021 and 2022, they were named one of the top 10 consultancies in the sector by the Financial Times. It's fascinating speaking to the team about the kinds of topics they're supporting. Helping reinsurers take a strategic view of their operating models designing smart follow syndicates in the Lloyds market, and developing ESG responses. The company's strapline talks about giving executives a fresh perspective. So if you're keen to understand the challenges and opportunities coming down the track for your business, I'd recommend giving the team at Oxbow Partners a call. Simon, welcome to the Voice of Insurance. Hi, Mark. Very pleased to be here. Acrishore Re is quite a fast-growing business and it's part of a very fast-growing group. It's probably a good place to start off and just give us a sense of the size and scale of Acrishore Re as it is today. The way I'd answer that, Mark, I mean, we don't publish or break down our revenue outside of the group. I mean, what I can say is we got acquired by Acrishore about four years ago now, yeah. and we've doubled in size, doubled in revenue in that period of time. Headcount, we're north of 250 people, probably not too far away from closing in on 300 over the next period of time. And various publications do speculate on our revenue as they do on others as well. And to be honest, I can't exactly remember. How accurate are they? (laughs) Well, I can't even remember what the last number was published, but I can remember thinking, oh, well, that's not unreasonable. We're not going to argue with that. Are you in a tier that's big enough to be mentionable? and to be in the top 10, but probably not big enough to be challenging anywhere near the top four. Yeah, that's right. Quite happy where we are and quite happy at the rate of growth that we have at the moment. Yeah, and as you project Acrishore out into the marketplace, what would you like people to be saying about you? If someone asks someone, do they know Acrishore, what would you like them to say about you? I think it breaks down into two big headings, and that's culture and technical. And on the technical side, and I think it's always been this way for us, a great deal of focus on the analytics, the technical side of understanding risk. And within that, I think a great deal of collaboration with our clients, but also with markets. I think that's crucially important in terms of 
getting the results right. And on the culture side, we've got a very much a sort of can-do, collegiate, collaborative culture, very flat management. That goes right to the top of Acroshore as a group through Greg Williams, Graham Millwater, and definitely we were a very good cultural fit for Acroshore when we came in a few years back. So we should expect to see you with your sleeves rolled up on the phone, getting things placed, placing difficult pieces of business and getting involved with the team? I think it's absolutely crucial for me to be out in the market, understanding what's going on, representing clients. So yeah, you will see me with my sleeves rolled up, Mark, for sure. And tied in with that, obviously, as you're growing that headcount and you're trying to grow that headcount to man this operation, what sort of pitch do you make to those prospective employees that's probably working at other brokers? We've quietly gone about our business in terms of adding talent over the last few years. And generally, the conversation with the senior hires that we've made and through the organisation is that you get a voice. You will have a seat at the table. No opinion, no idea is discounted. We're keen to hear from everyone. And we're genuine about that. Obviously, Acroshore is completely synonymous with NNA. I presume you've got ambitious growth targets. Do you think you can hit them without doing M&A? Could you do it all organically? Well, our growth plans are primarily built around organic growth. And if I can divide that up, there's organic growth as it relates to expanding in the segments that we are already in. And there's organic growth in terms of starting new businesses that are relevant to what we're doing, leverage our operating platform recent examples of new businesses that we've started. A few years back now, we started Acroshaw London Wholesale under John Sutton. More recently, Acroshaw Re Capital Solutions, ARCAS, which is under Ben Kanagaratnam, which is a capital advisory and legacy business, again, off to a very strong start. And uh, most recently, Acroshaw International FAC under Gas Amasur, based in London, but with a focus on international fact. So a great deal of growth opportunity just within all those areas, huge amount of runway ahead of us. And then the other side of growth is coming from synergies with our vast retail platform. I mean, obviously, your group knows how to buy things. It knows how to value other brokers and knows how to finance those. Well, I think it's safe to say that for the last period of time and ongoing, Acroshore the most experienced M&A company in the market by some margin, by virtue of the number of transactions that we've done over the last few years. So a very well-oiled machine in that sense. And we're very aware of the opportunity set as it relates to the reinsurance broker world. And if opportunities present themselves, Mark, we're definitely going to have a look. Whether we're going to heads around price and cultural fit, we have to see, but we're definitely going to take a look. I mean, see something pretty big's happened. Perhaps the problem in the reinsurance breaking world is not like the retail world where you can consolidate hundreds and hundreds of regional players into a national network. In obviously reinsurance, those opportunities come up few and far between, but we've had a coming together very recently. Is that the game over in terms of consolidation in reinsurance broking? And does that make your own plan more difficult to execute now that we've got a fourth challenger emerging? I don't think so. And the reason I think that is really twofold. One goes back to the earlier question. We've got so much opportunity in terms of how we define organic. We doubled in size revenue-wise over the last three or four years. We were on track to do that again over the next few years. 
Again, so I'm quite happy with trajectory there. And on the recent Howden Tiger coming together, in many ways, the world order hasn't really changed that much overnight, if you will. I will say in the US, before the transaction, we competed against Tiger. After the transaction, we competed against Howden Tiger. Look reasonably similar looking at this point, given Howden were only just getting moving in the US from a reinsurance broking standpoint. A little bit more going on in London. But again, I would say both those businesses were still fairly young and growing. So on the big scheme of things, I just don't see the world order altering that much. Look, over time, we'll see, but we've got our own path to develop over that period of time as well. Yeah. And obviously, we've had a huge amount of disruption in reinsurance broking, which started with the Aon Willis takeover attempt in the last couple of years. So everything's really been shaken up. And obviously, that sort of fired the starting pistol on a lot of challenges, pouring quite a substantial investment into their reinsurance broking arms to say, well, this is an opportunity to pick up some of that dislodged talent, potentially dislodged or just like disheartened or disquieted talent. Do you think there's still room for all those challenges? Or do you think that we're going to start seeing a bit of a thinning out of that market? I do see there's room for the competition. And if you look at it from the client's perspective, the actual number of reinsurance brokers is still not that great. Great deal of market share concentrated into the big three. Good, healthy competition makes for good service, makes for great innovation, and it has some effect on pricing power and distribution power. And I think all those three things are very important to clients. And the more competition, quite frankly, the better than exists right now. And if you think about the price or the Tiger traded for, I think that was a big validation of the brokers in that kind of bracket challenges, if you want to describe them that way. So I think that's a good indication that the market does actually need these brokers to grow into the space available. And you talk about your specialist knowledge and expertise. Do you aspire to be a generalist or do you think you need to stay in particular classes and geographies where everyone can know that you're strong in particular areas? Or would you like to try and compete with the big three almost across the board and say anything they can do, we can do too? Or is it not as simple as that? Well, I just don't even think about it in that (laughs) sense. But absolutely, I think about, can we compete in the segments that we are in? Can we effectively compete against anyone in those segments? If we can, then we've got to maintain that position. And I think the areas that we are focused on, we absolutely do compete. If we're going to do something different, if we're going to go into another segment, another business, what do we need to do to actually effectively compete by adding some capability around a particular segment or standing up a new business that complements the rest of our platform. So it's really only about focus on the segments that we're in and ensuring that we have everything that we need to effectively compete. In general terms, which of those segments and also which are the sorts of account that you think this is only a big three type domain? Presumably big three is only those global top 10 insurers that are all so massive that you can't really move the dial for them or you can't service them in 193 different countries in the way that they might want to be serviced? In the reinsurance business, we're focused on a few key areas. I mean, casualty, which we've always been known for, always strong, any size, shape of casualty from the smallest specialist program to the largest global will compete anywhere through the spectrum on casualty. Property, I think, breaks down a bit differently. We compete on regional US property multi-line and property. 
And we've been growing fast on what predominantly is regional specialist peak peril coastal property business. And we've been building capability in terms of analytics and the broking force aimed at that particular segment. And absolutely, we compete on those three. And then we've got MGAs and programs, which has been a fast growing a significant segment for us. It's been a fast-growing segment generally, and we're big players in that space. I'll just add on the programs and the MGAs, I think we're probably a market leader in terms of reinsurance broking there. We're going to talk about MGAs and about Cat Exposed business later on, but before we move on to those, just last couple of questions about Acrisure Re within the Acrisure group. You alluded to this earlier, one of the things that is a known strategy of yours is to be the manufacturing point for products that can then be distributed through that vast and growing Acrisure retail network. How's that going? And what sort of classes of business lend themselves to this kind of distribution model? There are a number of strategic reasons why Acrisure acquired Beach as it was four years ago. And probably top of the list was, look, we think there's going to be evolution within the retail space. That's going to be driven by technology. We're going to invest heavily in the technology. And we think we need your Aquashore skill sets to help us fulfill that vision. Your skill sets being the analytics, the relationship with underwriting capital, being the two key ones. And so we are actively involved in a number of initiatives. A couple of examples that come to mind. We have a small business facility aimed at premium Bot business, premium items, $25,000 and below. And the platform for underwriting that business is all automated. It goes into large carriers, large carriers that we already do a huge amount of business with on the retail side. But we as Aquashore designed and negotiated the terms for that particular facility. Another, I think, good example, Mark, is cyber. We put together through Aquashore London Wholesale a, a cyber facility, and that is just growing at a rate of knots. I presume that's a sort of Acrisure exclusive. Yeah, branded, white label, yep. pushed into all the retailers across and the country. Imagine that's a very, now has been a fantastically good time to have your own cyber facility. That yeah, is and that's a, pointed at SME type business and it's just going gangbusters, as they say. You mentioned about Acrisure and technology and these days, obviously, as that business has scaled massively, Acrisure on its website will describe itself as a fintech business. How's that affecting you? Is this fintech drive, is that permeating its way into the reinsurance arm and the wholesale arm? At the centre of Acrisure as a group is Acrisure Technology Group, which originally it was a JV with an entity called Tolco Labs. Yep. Acrisure bought out the other side of that JV because it needed that business to be in the middle of the whole business. That's largely pointed at the retail network, those technology initiatives. We're supporting those initiatives along the lines I discussed in terms of analytics, in terms of underwriting capital. And there's also benefits to the reinsurance side because they're generating a lot of data, a lot of understanding. And so we're able to access that data. If we've got a client that's looking to move into another state or another product line, we can give them data and intel on what that looks like in a sort of aggregated competitive type picture. Did Acrisure get into technology because it realised if you're going to buy 100 brokers a year or more, 
you need to be able to integrate them really well and probably have superior technology to get them on the new platform. Otherwise, you don't really have the value or you don't get the benefit of rolling up all those brokers if they're all working on 100 different systems. Is that how they've started it? Technology was always part of the vision. Yeah. We're buying healthy retail businesses, good margins, good growth built into those businesses, and then behind the scenes, availing them a product and information to power those businesses on further. We're not rebranding them. We're not ripping out the existing processes that they had in place before we acquired them. We're leaving in situ all those things that made them a successful business in the first place and supporting them to carry on being a successful business, using technology to lift those businesses even further up. Given that you're part of this sort of very tech-savvy organisation, when you think long-term about what a reinsurance broker is going to look like in 15 years' time, in presumably and hopefully a fully digital market by then, what do you think that's going to look like? And what sort of our day job's going to be? How different are they going to be? Well, I think the essence of our job as a reinsurance broker doesn't change. And that's matching efficient capital with risk. The other thing is the world's getting more complicated, not less complicated. And I think that is something which is good for the reinsurance broker. We've always been part of the overall picture to figure things out. So good example of, I think, what's happening now, still in the fairly early stages, but I really do see it getting traction is seeding casualty premium into the capital markets. We're very much at the forefront of that. You could say it's similar to where we were 15, 20 years ago in terms of cat risk, and that became a dominant part of the picture. So I do see casualty evolving in its own way, but in a similar way in terms of growth over the next five, 10 years. And reinsurance brokers will be at the middle of figuring out what is the best overall capital management type picture? But what about when transactions become completely frictionless? What does that do to a treaty in the end? Could conceivably every single risk be facultatively reinsured? And you've got quite a lot of algorithmic capacity that's instantly available on any risk. And you can insure something, you can reinsure it almost at the same time as you're insuring it. Do you see that happening? Do you think it might develop that way? Because obviously treaty is an inefficiency. When you've got a minimum deposit premium in a changing market, you don't know whether you're going to be able to write enough premium to actually pay the minimum deposit reinsurance premium. I think treaties are pretty efficient mechanism, actually. You know, you can bundle up hundreds of millions of dollars of risk in relatively short order and move it around wholesale markets fairly efficiently. To answer your question a bit more precisely, you know, what you're describing probably has more relevance to homeowners, personal lines small commercial business. And that's very much where AgriShore Retail plays. So we do see more efficient trading happening there. A lot of that business, we'll see how it affects the traditional reinsurance market. But as you start to move up the sort of size and complexity scale, it gets very difficult to really commoditize large corporate business. I think that stays in a more bespoke, tailor-made world. So reinsurance brokers will have to shape their skills and their offering around that evolution. But I do see that the more complicated risks are always going to need a little bit more attention. And you said earlier, do you think they're more likely to get more complicated rather than less? Well, the world's getting more complicated. So the need for reinsurance brokers and other stakeholders to sort of all try and figure these things out become more, not less mentioned before about MGA's programs being a big part of your business and where you think you're one of the market leaders. 
there's been a huge growth in this hybrid stroke fronting carrier model in the last couple of years. How much of it is down to people like you really enabling this, obviously connecting that reinsurance capital to this program business? We're responding to an opportunity and a need, if you will. So you're right. The fronts, hybrid fronts, however you want to describe the cohort, has grown significantly over the last five years or so. Last count, we track all these things. As you can imagine, there's probably at least 20 companies who are somewhat in that category to different degrees. Mark, they caused a structural change to the market. And by that, I mean portfolios of risk are being catered for now that wouldn't necessarily find a home in the previous world, if you will. Why is that? The vast majority of the risk is reinsured, obviously. The service they're providing is the upfront issuing carrier and everything that goes with that. But there's appetite from the reinsurance community to access portfolios of risk, which aren't necessarily easily accessed absent the fronts. So is it supply-led rather than demand-led? Well, it's both. We've got both dynamics in operation here. You've got demand coming from the broad reinsurance market, and you've got a great deal of supply caused by, again, structural shifts in the overall insurance market with talent moving around, moving into MGAs and the programme world and bringing a lot more sophistication, a lot more analytics to those businesses. I mean, a lot of them look like insurance companies just without the balance sheet, but all other facets look like a well-run insurance entity. Why do you think that's happened now? Potentially could have happened any time in the last 20 years. But what is it? What broke it and sort of made this secular change, this structural change? Is it cyclical? Will it recede Or is it one of these things that, okay, it grows and recedes, but over a long period, the trend is definitely going to be up? Like everything, or like most things, there's a cyclical nature to things, but the trend line, I think, is pretty well established. This has affected the London market as well as the US, of course. And maybe part of that is it's more difficult now in London or in Lloyd's to start up a new syndicate, and it's just been more efficient to do it in an MGA-type structure. I think that might be playing a role, certainly in London, in the US. I think it's evolution as much as anything and the opportunity for a lot of very good talent to operate in a much more entrepreneurial way is attractive. And do you think, I suppose, technology, has that played a factor in this explosion in technology? Of course, that has played a factor. And if you look at the numbers in terms of investment on the insurtechs over the last 10 years, it's astronomical. Billions and billions of dollars. So that is playing a part as well. It's not the whole story. A lot of these businesses that we're sort of generally talking about here are not insure tech. They're more traditional type businesses. But the insure tech is part of it. The fronts play a role in the insure tech world. Not all of that investment is going to produce a return, of course. But if a decent percentage of that investment produces a return, it's going to make a difference. That's really, really interesting. So I presume it's down on your list of great expectations as the boss to say, right, this is going to be something that's going to be in a secular growth trend for the next many years. And you want to play your part in that. You're going to be looking to that to be providing quite a lot of your growth. Mark, when we first set up in the US around 12, 13 years ago, we were squarely focused on the treaty market. I said, well, let's also 
have a focus on the MGA and program space. Because I think those two things, over time, they kind of operate slightly differently from a cycle standpoint. Mm -hmm. Everything's going along. Competition is generally operating as normal. Everyone's got an appetite to grow. So the program space with the traditional program carriers, that does well in that environment. And over that period as well, you tend to get obsedence on the traditional treaty side, thinking about taking bigger nets or reorganising their treaty arrangements in terms of structure. So the MGA program space adds a bit of counterbalance growth-wise to the treaty over that period of the cycle. Of course, when things tighten up from a capital standpoint, capacity standpoint in a segment or in a particular territory, the MGAs and the programs tend to reduce in size first because the carrier is repatriating capital to its own core businesses. And then that leads to the treaties growing, whatever's going on. Typically, something's happened. So carriers are looking to buy more reinsurance, not less. So that adds when those periods, which are fairly infrequent, happen, it tends to favour the strong growth in the treaty side while the MGA and the programs contract. That hasn't really happened in recent times for the reasons that we've touched on in this discussion. So those structural changes have really led to a boom market in programs and MGAs. So it's been great for both sides of your business. It's been very good, yeah. Do you design it as something that's counter-cyclical and and one will counterbalance the other? And now they're both growing when you thought one would grow when the other wasn't doing so well and the other would grow vice versa. Something else, one of these other massive secular trends that no one could really disagree with, whether or not ever side of the political spectrum they are, whether or not they like it either, it would be this transition to net zero and ESG that's all going hand in hand. And whether that's a 2030 target, a 2040 target or a 2050 target, I think everyone would agree that the secular trend is that carbon emissions are going to go to zero or or as near zero equivalent, as we possibly can at some point in this century. Obviously, that would look like an interesting opportunity or a threat to someone in your position. How are you going about that, making the most of that opportunity or challenge? Do you mind if I answer it in a different way? I I I I don't mind at all. You know, ESG covers such a huge amount of different things, and a lot's been going on here in the US and globally on the social side of things. The example I'll give, which I'm really passionate about, is what's going on at Aquashore, is we formed a joint venture called Evolution Advisors to focus on underserved, minority, diverse communities that have difficulty accessing critical financial products, insurance being one of them. And Aquashore's JV is with some high-profile people here in the US. I'm not sure everyone's going to know the names. They certainly will in the US in particular, Russell Wilson, who is a Super Bowl winning quarterback now with the Denver Broncos. He's part of the JV and his wife, Kiara, who I believe is a prominent singer. And we as Aquashore are working with Evolution Advisors in terms of bringing underwriting capacity to these underserved communities. So I think that's an important part of the overall ESG picture. Of course, a great deal has gone on over the last few years and pleased that we're actually if you will, executing on some things right now. Okay, well, let's talk about the market, because it's a very, very interesting market. I mean, now these mid-year renewals are much more visible. What's happening? Well, I don't think this is exactly the right analogy, but it's the tale of two cities. Is it T-A-I-L rather than T-A-L-E? Well, it's to do with property and casualty. 
Yeah. And it is segmented, so it's not all casualty and it's not all property. But on the property side, peak peril, secondary peril exposures, particularly in the US, Australia, most recently, as well as era 7-1 renewal or substantially a 7-1 or a certain amount of 7-1, it's in a proper hard market. It's an appetite issue, not really a capital issue. Yep. There's just very, very little appetite for low attaching quota share and quota share type exposures from the vast majority of the reinsurance market. So us as brokers, persistence, creativity, really, really deeply understanding the marketplace of who's doing what is more important than ever. Most things are getting done, but without those ingredients, as I say, persistence, creativity, and real understanding of marketplace. You know, a lot of the younger brokers wouldn't necessarily have seen this type of market. No. All these hard markets are always different, aren't they? Because easy to understand hard markets are when there isn't the capacity there anymore because it got wiped out and it's busy being replenished, but it takes time. And that seems to have got faster these days. But there is a lack of appetite from reinsurers. Can you? stimulate that appetite by increasing price? Or do they still walk away? They still say, you know what, I don't care how much it is. And I've still got the capacity to do it, but I just don't want to do it. And I don't want to do it even at higher prices. Is it as bad as that? Or can you always pour some more premium on it? And that will solve the problem. I'm not sure that will solve it for absolutely everyone. Is it the attachment point then? You say, well, actually, sorry, guys, the UCDENT, you have to be able to finance that portion of the risk yourself. And then you're going to have to increase your attachment point. You know, real terms, they work themselves down over a period of time. And now they've got to work themselves up again. And that's bumpy. So attachment points is definitely a factor. And the reinsurance market, it's largely moved as a block in terms of appetite. But within that, there are those who are very much at the scale of, look, I'm just not going to write at that level. Doesn't really matter about price. I'm trying to reduce or whatever. I'm trying to manage my own situation. Everyone's got some nuances around this. And there are others who you know, see a bit more of an opportunity. So you can always get things done as long as you know the appetites and you know who doesn't mind being a bit further down and more dollar swapping or more down and dirty, as we used to say. And others who don't want to get their hands dirty, but will write the very top layer for you, something far more remote. Yeah. So it's down to you just doing your old traditional broking and structuring things the right way to get them done. You touched on it earlier there. I mean, this hard market has its own characteristics and it's a real appetite issue. On the back of four or five really tough years, absolutely understand where we're coming from. But all hard markets rhyme with each other and they have similar characteristics in that sense. And so we have to do our job in this environment. And from our perspective, we're very much involved in this particular segment of the market. We are finding a way to get things done. And in the hardest markets past, that reinsurance broker's job, and particularly one so close to capital markets, has traditionally also been to form new capital, to help form new capital, if that is what is required. We haven't necessarily seen that this time, but is that something that if this needle gets pushed further to make distressed buyers of reinsurance... Do you think that's something we might see or that you might want to get involved in, in the way that you know, in the 2001s, the 2005s, that reinsurance brokers certainly got involved in capital formation to say, well, our plant's got a problem. In fact, the current market can't solve this problem, so I have to go and help create some new carriers to help solve that problem. We're not at that stage yet, are we? Well, a couple of sides to that. 
I mean, through our capital advisory business, which is very much works hand in hand with the reinsurance broking activities within AgriSure we are supporting, helping our clients and their capital situation, as I said, with the capital advisory side, working in conjunction with the reinsurance side. I think you're really alluding to the formation of reinsurance entities. Yeah, but presumably that's just we're in a different world now. I suppose we don't really need to because we have so many other avenues down which you can go. I mean, with the ILS or various forms of alternative capital. Well, when I say entities, I mean ILS, balance sheets, yeah, the whole kind of spectrum there. And of course, part of the reason we are where we are right now on critical cat is the ILS and the investors in those funds is pretty fatigued yeah. from the activity over the last five years. Now, let's see where we are come the Q4 this year. All I mean by that is let's get through this wind season and see what happens. But if we get through this wind season and it's a fairly benign one, the confidence starts to come back into the veins, generally speaking. And then if we have an extreme situation, then at that point, the conversation about opportunity becomes more relevant again. I suppose, is it just that frequency factor, that fatigue? You can remember going into 2006 wind season thinking, goodness me, after 2004 and then 2005, it almost felt that the narrative was, we would start to believe the underwriters and we said, well, look, this is the new normal. The 2004s and 2005s are going to be like this every year. The end of 2006, that runs clean, 2007, 2008, and suddenly the narrative changes again. It's like, oh no, it wasn't true, was it? It's not the end of the world. You're so right. And every situation is different. We're dealing with a different world in many ways, climate-wise. But in 05 and then 06, I can remember vividly seeking to renew place, property business, Southeast Exposed in 06. And you'd say to a reinsurer, you could see the fear in their eyes. So what do you think the expected loss is on this? And their eyes were saying, I think it's 100%. It's the recency bias, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's difficult to see beyond the absolute battering we'd had in the previous two years or so. Now, we've got some version of that going on now. We're on the back of four or five years of difficult results. But I suspect that we'll look back at some point in the future, look back at this period and go back to the sort of beginning of this part of the conversation of casualty and property, we probably went too extreme with both ends of the situation there. I think for the right kind of casualty, a large, well-diversified portfolio, they're getting very, very good pricing right now and it's kind of bumping along the top. And the property is some version of bumping along in a very difficult position. I suspect both ends of those spectrums shouldn't be quite as far down as they are right now. Is this the point where the really consistent underwriters are really doing the best business is because they've been probably consistent throughout and they've kept their view? They haven't let the events change their mind. Yeah, consistency is a big factor. And I totally understand where the property reinsurers are coming from and the need to reprice, reattach, reevaluate where they've been. But I think it's a good chance we look back at this period of time and some reinsurers who have played more than others could end up doing very well. In terms of property cat, it's not a failing market. It's functioning, but it's pretty difficult. That's absolutely a fair comment. It's functioning, but it's tough. And as I said, you've got to know where everyone's appetite is. You've got to be willing to be creative at times to get things done, particularly in the lower quadrant. But things generally are getting done. Yeah. That's great. Well, and obviously, if they're getting done, that means you're helping them get done. So 
more power to your elbow, Simon. And I've really enjoyed our discussion. I've come to the end of all my questions. So unless you've got something to add, we just need to make sure we mark our cards and I'll see you down in Monte Carlo. I sincerely hope. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking forward to it. It'll be good to see you and others in person. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Simon. Thanks, Mark. Good to see you. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs> <laughs>